Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. All right, if you have a Bible, you can go to Nehemiah chapter 7. We're going to do the whole thing. There are 73 verses. And some of you are wondering if you're going to be at church for four hours. But the title of the message is, what are some signs that we love the Lord and love people? What are some signs in our life that we love the Lord and love people? See, in Matthew 22, I think it's coming for you. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You never have to wonder what Jesus wants you to do with your life. You never have to wonder what God wants us doing every day. This is the aim. And now you're looking at Nehemiah 7. And if you're there, you're like, There's all, it's a chapter full of names. How does a chapter like this help us answer the question? You might be thinking like, this is the part of scripture that, you know, we talked about this earlier. There's some parts in Nehemiah that you're like, you probably want to just skip it because just names and names and names. And you're, you're thinking, maybe we should have skipped this one. And no lie, when I was putting together the sermon series, I was like, I'm going to preach chapter six and seven together because when I looked at it, I was like, it's just names. But God's like, you're not going to skip it, Marv. Because here's the thing. Every single part of Scripture is there to help us. Did you hear me? No matter where you are, right? Some of you, you're like, I've started my reading plan. And you're like, ooh, I I, I don't know how I'm going to manage when I get to numbers. But every part of Scripture is there to help us. And this Scripture helps us answer the question, What are some signs that you love God and that you love other people? Here's the first one. When you know you you love God and love people, you act with prudence. You act with prudence. Verse 1 says, Now when the wall had been built and I'd set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hanani, sorry, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, while they're still standing guard. Let them shut, shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. So the wall has been built. You know, that that part of it is done. But now you realize that even though the wall is built, it doesn't mean everything is all good. And so Nehemiah, he does something that is actually prudent. And here's the definition of prudence on the screen for you. Acting carefully and cautiously, looking to avoid unnecessary risks and planning with the future in mind. Some of you just came to church for that alone. 
There's just a piece of application. You're just sitting there, just think about your life. How can I just apply that in 2024? Maybe that's all God wants to say to you at this point, but we're going to keep going because this is how Nehemiah behaved. He acted with the future in mind. I want you to notice that he, his prudence comes out in the fact that he actually protected the people. So there's a wall up, but again, that's not enough. There's real enemies out there. And the text says he appointed singers, the Levites, and the gatekeepers. These are the spiritual leaders. And gatekeepers were actually people who you posted at the, the entrance of the city. And you know what they did? They watched who was coming in and out. They're posted at the, at the gate and they were just checking. And this is actually what prudent elders do in a local church. They're at the entrance and they're watching who's coming in and out. Because here's the reality. Here's why. Because wolves come in. Do you know that? All you got to do is read Acts 20 and it says that there are wolves who will come in and they will speak deceptive things to draw people away from God, and so the elders keep watch. And in verse three, it said, and I said to them, verse three, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the, until the sun is hot and while they're standing guard. And so you're, you're sort of wondering, you know, why is this? The, this? This phrase, let not it be opened until the sun is hot, could be translated while the sun is hot. See, what's going on in Jerusalem at the time is when it's really, when it's real, real hot, there is extreme heat, the people would actually be resting. So they, would act, they were actually vulnerable at that point. And Nehemiah is like, hold on a minute. Let's not just leave the doors open. When the people are tired and, and are hiding from the heat, close the doors, shut it, bar the doors so no one come in. He left nothing to chance. And did you notice in the text that Nehemiah actually started the first neighborhood watch program? I'm serious. Did you, did you see it? It says, it says, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. That's a wise move, right? Put people in front of their house. Are you, are you really good at noticing some like suspicious activities, as my boys would say? There's some sus guy outside. Don't you, don't you know, aren't you sometimes just looking out, you hear a noise? That's a, Nehemiah's smart. He's like, that brother over there, that sister, they'll, they'll pay attention if they think somebody might break into their crib. And so he, he, he puts them in a good spot to pay attention and be aware. And what you have here is there's multiple people on the lookout. See, here's how it, here's how it all comes together. The elders are responsible for keeping an eye on who's coming in and out. We don't just let anybody flow in. You, you want the church to grow. There's, that's, that's a good thing. But you, just, you don't want just anybody in here because you belong to God. And, the el- and God looks at elders and he says, you are going to have to give an account of how you took care and protected the flock that I put in front of you. Elders have to be responsible and be smart. That's why we have things like, you want to be a member of the church, you got to talk to somebody. You want to start serving here. You got to talk to somebody. Not because we're trying to make it hard for you, but because we have a responsibility to say, there are people here who we love, who God loves, who we're trying to look after, and we want to make sure that you have that same heart. You're as committed to God as they are and as we are, and you're going to look after them in the ways we're trying to. That's what elders do. But here's the thing. It's not just on elders. 
If you're, if you're a member of our church, if you're a deacon in our church, we have that. Your job also is to be on the lookout. Did you hear me? Some of you are like, oh, I didn't come here to be told I got, I got work to do. Well, then you shouldn't have followed Jesus. We are collectively responsible for one another. And so honestly, if you see somebody doing something, you're like, mm, that doesn't look right. Go check them. Again, not, not to be rude or aggressive, but just be like, this is a family here and we're responsible for one another. Elders, deacons, members together on the lookout, protecting the flock. Pastor Tony Evans said, Nehemiah got everyone involved protecting their territory. This is a reminder that a church must be ever vigilant. Local churches are to protect God's people by, their te by teaching what is faithful to God's word and exposing what deviates from it all together. Here's this next way you know Nehemiah is prudent. He appointed good leaders. He appointed good leaders. He says, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. He says he gave charge to Hanani. Do you remember who he is? You're like, nah. Go back and listen to the first sermon. This is the guy who actually told Nehemiah what was wrong in Jerusalem. He's the one who actually gave the report. He said, hey, everything's a mess. See, when you really love people, when you really love God, you can't ignore a mess. Because you know when something's a mess, it's actually affecting the people of God. And so you are willing to do whatever, whatever step is necessary to take to make a wrong thing right. And then he says, Hananiah was the governor of the castle. These are the two people he appoints. The governor of the castle tells you that he was a military leader. And he tells you something about this guy. He says he was faithful. What did I tell you? He did his job. Did you hear me? Faithful. He, if something was expected, he got a task, and he actually did what he was supposed to do. One of the ways you can love the people in your life is by doing what they're depending on you to do. Just, just as simple as that. Somebody is depending on me. Somebody is, I have authority. I have responsibility. They're leaning on me. They're looking to me. So I'm going to get up and do that thing. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to avoid what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be called faithful and do what God has put in front of me. There's the next one. He was a God-fearing man. God, more God, he says more God-fearing than many. When, he, when you looked at him, he stood out. God-fearing, that means he respected God, he obeyed God. See, there's some people who want to be leaders because they just want to give commands. Right? Starting to do work now. There's some people, that's all they want. They they I was reading this book uh, earlier this week, and it says there are some people who they, they lust to govern. They just want power. They just want to feel that, that, that they can push some people around. But let me tell you something. A good leader is somebody who knows how to give a command, but they're also ready to take them. And you cannot lead 
And you will not love people well if you are not willing and ready yourself to follow. Follow Jesus, to follow what he says. And the people who abuse their leadership are those who, when you look at it, they're not following Jesus, they're following themselves. And the moment they hear a command, the moment somebody says to them, that, that what you're doing, you're supposed to be doing this. Do you know what they do? They actually abuse their power even more. Because they use that to just get those people and move them out the way. A good leader can give a command, but they're humble enough and prepared all the time, ready to follow commands. And that, when you're, and when you appoint men and women like this to leadership in whatever, whether it's in the church, whether it's in a business, whether it's in school system, whether it's in politics, when you appoint people like this who are prudent, who, who really love people and can be called faithful, you yourself are being prudent. What Nehemiah is showing you is you shouldn't just give away leadership to anybody. Wise, careful, taking your time. What are some signs that we love God and love people? Here's this next one. We obey the Lord. We obey the Lord. Verse four says, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been built yet. See, housing problems in a city is not new, huh? Even Nehemiah was dealing with that. There's not enough people and there's not enough houses. The city actually, the reason why the city is limping is because when Babylon destroyed it in 587 BC, they, they tore the place apart. That's why the wall was destroyed. So it's just limping. But here's the thing. God couldn't, couldn't sort of leave it that way no more. And he's ready and working to make a wrong thing right. It says, then my God put in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found a book of genealogy of those who came up at first. And I found written in it, though these were the people of the province who came up out of captivity uh, of those of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile, they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. So God put something in his heart. Did you catch it? He said, this is what God put into my heart. What, you, what I'm trying to show you is God is working in Nehemiah. Do you know God puts things in people's hearts? He's working in Nehemiah. God is moving him to do what he wants him to do. Then he says, I found the book. He says, I assembled the people. What does that tell you? He acted on what God put in his heart. God said, do this, and then he did. God stirred him, and then he made a move. And from verse 7 to 65, he actually lists all the people who come back. Verse 7 most likely indicates, you can read this when you get home, the leaders of the returnees. Verse 8 to 25 reveals the number of people who actually belong to each clan. Verse 26 to 38 indicates the villages and the cities which each person belonged. Verse 39 to 60 gives you the names of the temple personnel. Verse 61 to 62 lists the groups of possible Gentiles that returned and are actually included 
in the people. And then 63 to 65 lists the group of priests that returned. All these people come back home. And when you go back to verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. This is who Nehemiah wants to actually move back into the city. Because here's the thing. They're all back, that list of people, but they actually are outside of Jerusalem. Well, remember, it was a mess. And so when you come back, you're like, "Mm, I can't live over there. And so they're actually just living in the town. Some people go in, but there's, they're outside. And for the city to thrive, somebody has to go back in. See, it's not, it's not new people fleeing the city, right? Ooh, it's, 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 it's violent here. It's dense. You know, the, the bus is full of people. There's traffic everywhere. Right now in Tio, they're doing pothole construction, which means you can't get anywhere. So let's just get out of here. It's tough. But this is who. God, God's like, Nehemiah, get the book. Find who came back, because we want them to come back in. This is going to take obedience, don't you think? Somebody shows up and says, hey, you got to, come on, guys, let's go, let's go revitalize this thing. But the people actually do go back. In chapter 11, verse 2, it says, 1 to 2 says, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in the other towns. And the people, watch this, blessed the, the men who, were, who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Willingly offered. I'm telling, so what did I tell you? Some people didn't want to go. Willingly offered. Nehemiah gets up and he, and he gets everybody together and it says some people willingly Offered. And you're sitting there like, okay, you've taken a long time. Where are you going with this? Well, when you put this all together, here's what God taught me from this. And maybe this will bless and help you walk in a good and God-honoring way. Here's the first thing. First thing, obedience needs to be immediate. Imme- Nehemiah, God put something in his heart and then he got up and did it. Oh, spiritual conviction sometimes comes upon us, and then you know what we do? We do nothing. God tells us that there's something that we're supposed to do. Maybe it's time for you to start to get fully involved in the, in the life of the church. Maybe it's time for you to actually start serving somewhere. Maybe it's time for you to become a member or whatever it is, and actually let the people who want to love you and know you really be there for you and you feel that conviction you talk to people after the service you say yeah i know it's time and then you go to your car and you do nothing and then you're like why am i not changing why am i not growing why is there nobody in my life why is there no difference because god puts a conviction upon your heart and then you just let it die out Obedience needs to be immediate because then conviction dies and nothing changes and you don't grow. Here's this other one. Obeying the Lord is an act of faith. The people had settled in the countryside. There were homes, they were making money. You don't think it would have been hard to be like, let's pack up the family and go back in. Let's leave what is comfortable. 
Obedience is an act of faith. Think about Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he's like, I want you to leave all that you know. I want you to go away from all that is comfortable. Think about, we, just, we were just talking about this. Think about Mary. I want you to, you thought your life was going this way. I want it to go that way. You don't think obedience is, it's an act of faith. It's not easy. But when you obey the Lord, you're saying, God, I don't know how it's going to go, but I believe that you are good. I believe that you will provide. I believe that you'll take care of me. So I'm not going to disobey. I'm going to walk by faith, believing that you are going to carry me through whatever comes because you're a provider. You don't call people to do something they, uh, without actually going and being with them through it. The people go back into the city. It's an act of faith. Here's this next one. Your obedience can be inspiring. Ooh, none of you were expecting me to say that. Your obedience can inspire somebody else. Warren Wearsby, he says, the important thing is not to count the people, but to realize that these people counted. Their name's in the book for a reason. They counted. Watch this. In leaving Babylon, they did much more than put their names on a list. They laid their lives on the altar and risked everything to, oh, what? To obey the Lord and restore the Jewish nation. They were pioneers of the faith who trusted God to enable them to do the impossible. They're in the book for a reason. They counted. When you walk in obedience, you know what you're doing? You're showing somebody else the way that they can live their life. Sometimes somebody's sitting there and they're just looking at you and they're like, mm, I wonder if I could, I could live like that. And the answer is like, yes. Your obedience can be a beautiful inspiration to somebody else. Have you ever thought about that? That when I choose to do what is hard, that I'm actually modeling for somebody else the way that they can live, that when I choose to do what is hard, that somebody else might themselves say, you know what, I'm going to choose to walk like that. I'm going to choose to go that way. What are some signs that we love God and love people? Here's this last one. We give to God's work. We give to God's work. I'm not making it up. Look at verse 66. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Now, some of the heads of fathers' houses, here it is, gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 50 minas of silver. And some of the heads of, uh, of, the, of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,220 minas of silver, and the rest of the people gave, and, and what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. The people are given, aren't they? So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and some of the people of the, of the people, the temple servants in all Israel lived in their towns 
And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Their love for God overflowed in generosity. They gave, they gave, they gave. They gave back to God what actually belonged to him. Do you know that when you give, that's what you're doing? It's not really yours. I got to tell myself that sometimes. I'm like, look, look, I got money. No, I don't. I've got money. He lent it to me. And honestly, he's watching what I'm doing with it. And I want you to notice that they gave willingly. Verse 70 says, some of the heads of houses gave to the work. Some. Some gave willingly. Nobody forced anybody to give. When, I, here's, when he says some, that means some people didn't. Did you catch that? Some gave, which means some people stood at the side, and that's okay. Here's where I'm going with this. It's unloving to force people to give. Giving should come from the heart because you want to, because you believe and really love God. Not because somebody stands up here and says that it's time for you to sow a seed and that there's a blessing coming for you. From your heart. Because here's the thing. If it's not coming from your heart, it won't last. You're going to do it for a while and then you're going to say it's all about pressure and so I'm just going to slide off to the side and I'm not going to participate. Nobody in our church is going to force you to give. If you don't want to give, that's between you and God. And God's going to talk to you about it. And we're okay with that. Because it's his. But there's no pressure. It's got to be willing. Got to do it willingly. And then I also want you to notice that the giving was diverse. I'm not talking about the type of people who gave. I'm talking about what they gave. Did you catch it? Some people gave 1,000. Some people gave 20,000. Some people gave 500 minus. It's not all the same amount. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Generosity looks different for everyone. And giving has to be proportionate. It has to be based. Where am I at? What are, my, what are my other responsibilities? Here's something Pastor Sean always says. We do not want you to go into debt to give. If you got some responsibilities, take care of them and give what you can. But if, you, if you're like, there's a big number over here that I got, I got to get rid of this, work on it. And if that means to do that, that means you can give $10 because you got to give 150 over here. That's what we want because we want you out of debt. We trust that God is going to provide and take care of the work here. And so we, and then here's the other thing. If you're, you're struggling financially, you're sort of in debt, you're, there's some mismanagement going on, why aren't you talking to the elders? You're like, why would I do that? Because we want to help. Because we want to pray with you. We want to look at, is there a way that we can come alongside and support and help you manage that wisely? We're not just, we're not trying to get in your pockets. We're trying to love you and shepherd you and guide you to wise, good decisions and help you be in a spot where you're healthy and you're managing the, the money that God has entrusted to you. And so if you're in that spot, then maybe the act of obedience for you is to just humbly come up and say, Marv, I need some help. 
Marv, I need, we need some prayer on this. We need some guidance on this, on financial management. We want, I want to look at the scriptures together on how do I do this well. Trust God and do that. The giving was diverse. Everybody participated. What did Chris Paul say? I said it a couple weeks ago. Point guard from the Golden State Warriors. When everybody does a little, nobody has to do a lot. All participating and we're loving each other. Here's what you got to understand. Generous giving like this provides resources for ministry. Generous giving like this pushes the work of God forward. And I, I want to, let me, I also, I need, there's just things coming to my head, so I'm just going to say them. I want you to understand, generous giving like this is actually happening in our church. Right? Sometimes you're all like, "Mm, I hope they don't talk about money at church. Because when they talk about money, it's all like, give more, give more. Here's, honestly, you understand this. And we're going to give you a financial update in the next couple weeks. You are giving well. You are being generous. We are not small, but the generosity is big. And you got to understand that God is very pleased with your obedience. And so I'm trying to encourage you in that. Nothing would be going on here if multiple people were not actively participating in and giving to the work of the Lord. And so you should be encouraged. Nehemiah tells us that the people gave. But I want you to see something that you might have missed. It's in verse 71. Sorry, verse 70. Now some of the heads of father's houses gave to the work. Watch this. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks. Who's the governor? Who's the governor? Come on, come on, Pastor Sean, say it. The <laughs> Nehemiah. Nehemiah. He's, he's, he's actually being real humble. He says the governor gave. It's, he's talking about himself. Here's what I'm trying to t- say to you. Spiritual leaders are not exempt from giving. It's not loving to sit across from somebody to say, hey, have you given anything to our church this year? And nothing's come out of your pockets. Everyone gives. Everyone participates. There's no one exempt from it. And Nehemiah, what he's doing here, he's actually leading by example. Nehemiah gave to the work. Sanjay, you can come if you want. Spiritual leaders are not exempt. And I won't lie to you, there's some of them that don't. But here's what you got to understand. You can fool the people, but what? You can't fool God, right? God sees it. And God will deal with it. But here's how we want to live and think as a church, that all of us are participating. All of us are giving to the work of the Lord. Nehemiah talks about the people, but Nehemiah actually led by example. And that should make you think about Jesus. TJ Bet says, Nehemiah knows how wrong it would be for a leader to expect from others that which he had not already done himself. Can I read it again? He knows how wrong it would be for a leader to expect from others that which he had not 
already done himself. Sometimes leaders ask so much of people and they're not doing it. But let me tell you, Jesus never asked anything of you that he hasn't already done himself. Jesus expects you to give. Jesus expects you to obey. Jesus expects you to love people. Jesus expects you to love the Father, but he expects that from you, he, and he wants that from you because he has done that himself. He has done all of those things. You would not be sitting here listening to me. I wouldn't be standing here in front of you if Jesus hadn't done all of those things, loved us and gave. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his, by his poverty we might become rich. And maybe you're sitting there, you're like, I don't have a ton of money in my bank account. That's not what rich is talking about. It's talking about rich in salvation. Because Jesus came, came and gave, you have everything. You actually, if you have salvation, if you're sitting here with a renewed heart, you're, you're lacking nothing. Nothing. You have the one thing you need more than anything else. And when we forget that, it becomes hard for us to sort of give away the thing that we're like, I got to hold on to this. But if Jesus gave his life for you, don't you think he'd take care of you if you walked in obedience and just, and, and gave to the work? If he's going to provide that, what else can he provide? If he's going to look after you in that way, how else is he going to look after you? See, when we obey, when we walk in obedience, when we choose to love God and love people, when we give to the work of the Lord, what we're saying is Jesus is at the center of my life. that more than anything else, he matters the most. And that he has modeled for me what it means to love others and to love the Lord. And I'm gonna do that myself in my life. Because that's what God wants from me. And because I'm not at the center, Jesus is. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you praise and thanks for the word. Lord, we get to these spots in in scripture and sometimes we look down and we're like, is there a word there for me? And the answer always, always is yes. If we're depending on the spirit, and asking you to give and to speak. I pray, Lord God, that that you would help us to do the things that have been talked about in the power of the Spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that we would live in a way that makes it very, very evident to those around us that your Son, Jesus Christ, is at the center of our lives that everything is about him, that we are not looking to make a name for ourselves, but we're simply looking to live a wise life, to be prudent, to be obedient, to be generous, 
trusting you, Lord God. Knowing that that clearly, clearly states that we are grateful for what you have done in us and what you are going to do through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.